when I seen the guy hitting her with the shotgun, I immediately started praying. And I was like, oh my God, Lord, yeah. this is how I die. This is how I go. I don't want to go out like this. Yeah. Lord, if I die like this, I'm going to die backslidden and I'm never going to yeah. see you again. I'm not going to be able to say bye to my mom. Like if I die right now, Lord, I'm not going to spend eternity with you because I knew God and I knew what I was doing was wrong and I was doing it in my rebellion. <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, then this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anybody else who might be encouraged by it too. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, we're speaking with the host of the Daughters of Zion podcast. We're speaking with Amanda Toro. I'm so excited to have her on the show today. I was just sharing with her that I've been binge watching so many of her videos, and there's just so much good stuff. Um, Honestly, I see a lot of similarities in our testimonies and in the kind of content we share. So, I'm really excited um, to just have a chance to get to know her a little bit better today and hear her testimony. So just for you guys to know um, some of the things we will be focusing on, Amanda is an ex-stripper and party girl, and she was working in that line of work until the Lord revealed the spirit world to her while she was on stage at the club, just in this supernatural encounter where she realized that she had been dancing for the devil and uh, the spirit world just became so clear. God's voice became so clear. And now here she is today um, sharing her testimony and uh, just revealing the kingdom of darkness that is in this line of work. So thank you so much for being here today, Amanda. Thank you, Michaela. I'm so thankful and honored that you've even considered me to be here with you ladies on this platform. I'm so excited for what the Lord is going to do. And I pray that this blesses whoever it needs to bless and that it reaches whoever it needs to reach um, today. So I'm just so thankful. Amen. Amen to that. So I just want to jump right in, if you don't mind, um, leading us back to uh, the beginning of your testimony, your childhood, and the sort of things that happened that later led you into this line of work. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I was uh, raised up in your not-so-typical blended family. Uh, my mom was married uh, to my stepfather, and they had you know, kids, matrimony. She was 13, he was 27. Um, so you can just, you know, like get some background on what the dynamic was at that time in those days. And um, there was a lot of abuse that went on, you know, mental and physical. And it caused my mom to kind of like step out of her marriage. And that's how I came along. And um, during that time, 
Um, I never really knew who my biological dad was because my stepfather, you know, raised me and took me in as his own. Um, so it was like a brief time where, you know, I thought, hey, my stepdad is actually my real dad up until I was seven years old. Um, I remember one day we were, you know, kind of like in the kitchen, you know, like seasoning up some meat together. And he just kind of looked at me um, and was kind of like, you know, I'm not your real dad, right? And I just kind of like stayed quiet and like shook my head like, yeah, like, you know, kind of like, what do I say in this moment? Yeah. Um, um, and during this time, my mom and um, my stepdad, they weren't married anymore. Um, they were still separated, but he still chose, you know, to like have me around and, you know, raise me up as his own, gave me his last name. So I'm so thankful and I honor him for that because it's not an easy thing to do. And. Right around this time, I want to say a few months later, after, you know, he kind of had that hard conversation with me, um, we were sitting at an IHOP and I ran, we ran into my biological father. Um, and once he came in the picture, that's when I began, you know, being molested um, every weekend up until I hit puberty at the age of 12. So every time I would go, you know, see my biological father, you know, he would, you know, molest me and in the night hour. Um, and I kept it a secret. I kept quiet because during this time, no one was supposed to know that I knew who my biological dad was. It was kind of like, hey, if people know that you know, you know who your biological dad is, we're going to get kicked out, you know, like, it's not going to go good. So you know, you can see your biological dad, but keep it a secret. Now, no one knew that this was happening to me, you know, never in my mom's, you know, wildest imagination, did she ever think that the man who's supposed to be my father, you know, would sit here and do this to his own child, right? Um, so during this time, like, my stepfather was a very religious man. He would go to church. He would make us go to church, but I didn't know Jesus. It was just kind of like, oh, snap, it's Sunday. We got to wake up early. We got to go to church, you know? Yeah. And I really remember my uh, stepfather coming home one day with a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And I didn't know what it meant. And I'll be honest, I didn't read the book, but I took it everywhere with me. I remember taking it to school, taking it to my biological dad's house. And whenever, um, you know, I would get assaulted that night or molested, you know, I, I would keep the book close to me. And Things went on this way for, I want five years from seven to 12 years old. Um, and during this time, my mom got really sick. You know, she was in the hospital, like on her deathbed, like our whole family broke out in boils and no one understood why. Like my body broke out in sores and boils and scars and everyone who was close to me had boils and scars on their body as well. Mm -hmm. And um, that stopped happening mm -hmm. once the assault stopped. Wow. So that just goes to show you, you know, like the anger that the Lord was feeling during this time. Yeah. And, and the way that like sin manifests in these oh. physical sort of ailments as well. My goodness. It, it's it's really wild. Um, and, and you know what? I love that you said that because sin can make you sick. Yeah. Sin will make you sick. Yeah, even though nobody else knew this was going on, and yet they were all still impacted with these boils. That's crazy. Yes, and I kept quiet 
Um, not only because I was afraid how my mom was going to react, but I was also afraid that I was going to lose her if I told her this. Like if I told her, hey, this man is doing this to me. She was already like almost died twice, like in the hospital for months during this time of my life. That if I was like, hey, this man is doing this to me, I was afraid that I was going to lose her or break her heart. So I kept quiet. And during this time, I want to say I was very confused because my body was changing. Um, once I got my period, he just kind of like left the state and he never looked or talked for me anymore up until like once, maybe like later down the year. Um, and I, I was really mad. I was really mad because one, like you ruined my life. You woke my body up to like desires that I didn't even ask for. Yeah. And you just up and left me like you used me. You're supposed to be my dad. And you just left, like never looked for me again, like just left once you got what you wanted. And I think what's really hard for people sometimes to understand is just because the assault stops doesn't mean the abuse and the trauma stops. You're left with that. And that's basically what it was. I was left with that. I was left with rejection. I was left with abandonment. I was left with all these types of, you know, um, things that come attached to molestation spiritually. And I was angry. I felt like this secret was weighing me down. So I did what anyone else would do and I rebelled. Mm -hmm. So when I got into high school, that was it. You know, I started drinking, I started smoking, I started ditching school, I started partying, I started getting around the wrong crowd. And it was just like everyone thought, oh, my God, she's just being a teenager. You know, she's out of control. But no one really knew what was really happening inside. Everyone just assumed, oh, she's being fast. She got hips now. But no one un really understood what was happening inside. Yeah. And I was too afraid to say anything. Yeah, like the actual spiritual root and brokenness that was leading to your rebellious behavior. Yeah, it's so easy to look at like young preteens and teens who are going through that and not realize that like their actions are, are rooted in hurt. Like somewhere along the line, they've been hurt or misunderstood God or their identity. Um, and that's what leads them to doing these things, sleeping around. Um, yeah, just overall like bombing their life further. It's true because you're looking to fill that void. You don't know that rush. And I love that you said that because that's where the door to pornography got opened in my life. You know, it was kind of like I was looking to fill that void and it, I hated it. You know, even to this day, I still like think about it. I'm like, I, I like if there is like a demon or anything that I will go toe to toes with any day. It's definitely the spirit of lust, pornography, Jezebel, incubus, succubus, because the, the rabbit hole that it entangles you in, you know, and it, it, it grieves me so much to know how this demon is literally destroying the lives of people who don't know Christ yet. Yes. And that's why there is, it's our mission to speak out on this because I opened the door you know, to pornography and it let me down like a rabbit hole of fetishes and like looking up things that I didn't, you know, need to be seeing and just like, just kind of like me looking to fill that empty void that was awakened and I didn't even ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the abuse led in both like the spiritual side of like the demonic into your life through that trauma. And then also, like you said, these desires were awakened without you even asking 
I heard you say that in one of your interviews with Anna, or one of you said it, and I was like, wow, that's an amazing way to put that. And I started reflecting on my own story because I wasn't sexually abused as a child, but I was physically abused and there was a lot of sex around me all the time. And so that in a way awoken me to it as well, like seeing it on TV, walking in on my dad, walking in on my mom, seeing it everywhere like that. And then having it be an obsession of my parents awoken those desires in me as well. So I, I could relate to that when you when you said that. So this led to you now starting to watch pornography as a teenager, and then that led to other fetishes and desires. So what are some like examples of what that looked like in your life? Oh my God. So I had never spoken this out loud. Um <laughs> Honestly, I feel like I'm not going to answer that question because my mom is still healing from this news. Um, so I don't want to like say something that's going to like, you know, like set her back yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, but I did, you know, I was really attracted to like older men, you know, during this time I was really looking for a father figure because though I had my stepfather in my life, it was still kind of like, you know, you're my child, but you're not my child, you know, and he had his own family. And I always felt like, you know, where did I really belong? What was my true place? And so um, I remember just wiling out, wiling out, like, I remember having older guys in my inbox, you know, because I was mature, my body looked older than my age, like I looked older than when I really was. And um it, it just, I went just, I was spiraling down a rabbit hole up until um, I met Jesus when I turned 16. Quick announcement here. If you're enjoying this episode, please help us expand our reach by liking, subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing it with a friend. And now back to the episode. I remember being on a CTA bus and I was depressed because the older guy that I was with at the time, um, I found out he had got another girl pregnant and I was just like heartbroken. And I remember being on the bus with my sister and she was already, you know, having the Lord be her savior. You know, she accepted Jesus in her heart already. Okay. And she was just kind of like, Amanda, you need us to stop running. Like Jesus is the only one that can love you. He's trying to love you, but you keep running. Like just give him a chance. He can do this and he could do that. And as I'm on the phone with her on the CTA bus, I remember it was like raining outside. So this, this man walks in and he resembled my biological dad so much to the T. And there's all these empty seats on this bus. And this man going to sit right next to me. <laughs> Okay. And he puts his jacket over us and it kind of like covers my lap. And I'm on the phone with my head, you know, leaning against the window and I just feel a hand. And it was him that the guy that sat next to me started fondling me under the jacket. Oh. And I remember just like freaking out. I got up, I got my umbrella and I got off of the bus and it was just kind of like, that's it. I'm not allowing this anymore. Yeah. 
And I remember getting off the bus. I remember calling on my friends and I was like, hey, if you want to smoke a joint with me, today's the day to do it. If you want to match the little bit of liquor that I have left in my book bag, today's the day to do it. Because after tomorrow, I'm like going to go away for a little bit. I'm going to disappear. And I did that. I met up with all my friends and I, I like it was kind of like cold turkey after that. I woke up the next day. I remember taking a shower, cleaning my room because I was so depressed that my room resembled it. It was such a mess. I cleaned up my room and I remember getting dressed, getting ready and looking at the mirror. And I remember saying out loud to God, like, Jesus, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for you to be my Lord and Savior. I'm ready for you to do in my life what everyone else says that you can do. I need you to do it in my life. Like you can have me. I'm so serious. <laughs> and that really like kicked off, you know, my healing journey. I was like so radical. Like I would stop people in the middle of the street and I would be like, hey, you know, at 16 years old, let me pray for you. I could probably, you know, I got a word for you. Jesus loves you. And he began to take me down a journey of inner healing and dealing with my inner wounds and rejection and abandonment and like that area where I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. Yeah. And that went on for about two years. And I remember I was um, having another session because, and I, I feel like, like I needed to say this, that healing doesn't happen overnight you know god will do it in layers so that's what he was doing for those two years he was taking off layers of healing in my life dealing with my identity dealing with who i was and finally two years after when i turned 18 i remember going to an inner healing session with one of the well-known prophets in our church and um in that healing session, mind you, no one still knew what happened to me as a little girl. I was going to die with this secret. Yeah. And he brought it up. He was like, the Lord wants you to forgive the man that molested you. Oh, my goodness. And I just felt so angry, Michaela. I felt like the Lord exposed me. I was so furious because it was like, Lord, did you not see everything that I went through? Yeah. Like, did you not see, like, he stole my innocence and you want me? I looked at that prophet and I told him, hell no. <laughs> I said, hell, they were just like, is she really wow. like, Amanda's really saying this right now? That's I was real. like, that's real. <laughs> like, it's real. That with forgiveness. Yeah. So I know that this is the thing because I did listen to your testimony video. Like, this was the thing that like led you away from the church then for a little while because you struggled so much with this forgiveness. So I'm sure the forgiveness component is a huge part of your testimony that I want to come back to as we peel, peel those layers. Um, but yeah, tell us what happened next after you were like, uh-uh, this is the one part I, I can't do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I was so mad to the point where like, when I say hate, Hate's a strong word. You know, to hate someone in your heart is to murder. And I hated this man. And I was so upset with God that I left the church. Like, it happened 
I want to say gradually, because and this is something that um, I didn't really say in my episode, but it's kind of like I gradually left church. So it, it stopped with me, stopped wanting to read the word, mm-hmm. stopped wanting to worship, stopped wanting to watch sermon. When people from the church would text me, I stopped responding. And then that allowed the enemy to come in and get text messages, you know, from people that weren't serving the Lord from my old lifestyle and me entertaining that. And that's what initially like left me to like leave the church. I started going back to what I used to do, my old vices to try to numb my wounds. I started drinking. I started smoking. And I remember one day um, my biological dad showed up. He called me. And during this time, you know, I was trying to purchase a car. You know, I was 18. You know, I, I was struggling, you know. And I had asked him, I think I had asked him to be my co-signer. And I was like, you know, I'll take care of the bill. I just need you to co-sign me because I don't have any credit. Like, I'm just starting off. And he was like, well, how are you getting this money? You're dirty. You're nasty. And that really set me over the edge. And it was like, I was kind of like, okay, I'm done letting men and guys look at me and use me and take advantage of me. And if they're going to do that, then it's going to be on my terms and it's not going to be for free. So I got so like puffed up. I feel like that's when Jezebel was kind of like, enter right there. Taking my power back uh, slogan. Yes. Period. (laughs) Man, it's like, it's crazy that your dad like spoke to you like that as well. I just think about how our parents, like what our parents speak over us that lasts like that's life-changing like what we hear from our parents we never forget those things it it means more than what anyone else could say so of course like he says these things to you and like you would fully identify with that and it would lead you into where you went next yes it was like I love that and a lot of and I love that you're saying that too because a lot of parents use that scripture that says you know honor your mother and father and you will live a long life but it's kind of like okay keep reading because the next one says parents you know don't provoke your children to anger don't you know cause them to go down this this road like that's a commandment yeah and that's basically what happened like that was just the cherry on top that was all that I needed and I completely like turned to the other side I you know became an exotic dancer um I started dancing. I started getting into like different types of relationship with different people. I started um, doing cocaine at this time because though I was away from the church, the Holy Spirit did not leave me alone. Mm-hmm. I would do everything, Michaela, in my power to silence the voice of God. He would come in my car on the way to the strip club and I would literally like take a bump take a shot of Hennessy, chase it with the monster and turn my radio on and I would ignore him. And this went on and it kept going and it kept going and he would go away for a little while, but then he would come back and he would be like, Amanda, come back. I missed you. Come back. I miss you, Amanda. And I would just ignore him and I would be like, I'm not forgiving him. I'm not doing what you're asking me to do. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that you said that because I actually wrote that question to ask you. Like I've heard people say, you know, I was using substances or music or, you know, these different things to numb the pain, but to numb the voice of God. 
Like that's next level awareness of what's really happening. You're numbing the voice of God, but something else that you said um, in your video was that he was still speaking to your heart though. Like it didn't matter how loud you turn up the music, how much drugs you do, all the things like, because he's still speaking to your heart. How, like no matter how hard you tried to run from him. After doing everything I'd done, after dancing with so many men, after putting on this facade, you know, he would he would be there to see the real me. And I think that's something that, you know, every dancer can relate to is going into work, you know, getting drunk, getting high, just to put on a mask, to, to display this fantasy, to put on this facade, to pretend to be someone that you're really not, you know, your name's not even your real name, it's your stage name, it's not even really you, you know, you're putting on the, all these different outfits to try to fulfill and fluff something up inside of you and feel this confidence. And I think it hits so hard when you have a spirit of rejection because in that atmosphere you're so wanted mm -hmm. you got guys competing for a dance you got girls you know oh you're so beautiful like let me dance dance for my friend you know like you got couples coming in and asking for a dance for each you know like you just feel so wanted and the devil plays on that yeah he played on that you said too like this empowerment that you felt every time you came on the stage this made me think of Beyonce's demon, Sasha Fierce. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, I mean, you did kind of speak to the fact of you can look back and recognize when you think Jezebel entered the scene and was like, you know, coming with that voice of I'm going to take my power back and now I'm going to do this, but not for free and, you know, on my say so. But would you would you also compare it to that? Like Beyonce's Sasha Fierce? Oh, absolutely. Like some of her songs were the songs that I would dance to. Like I would pick my set and I would have, you know, Drunken Love on there. I would have 7-Eleven, you know, like those were like my turn up, you know, and I, I, as I was doing the drugs, you kind of put music on to gas you up. Yes. You know, you listen to things to kind of get you in the mood, to get you, you know, ready for work, ready, you know. So it is yeah. very important what you even listen to because songs carry spirits. And it, it was definitely like that. Like, whenever I was at work, I would put on my ego, my alter ego, whatever you call it. Yeah. And just be in character. Wow. I actually love that you said that, too, because I remember getting ready and like not wanting to go, like dreading it. And yeah, turning on my music and being like, okay, like we're going to get into this as I'm doing my makeup. Like you said, these songs carry spirits. You're literally welcoming these demonic spirits into your, into your vessel so that they can, like they're what makes this possible, what you're doing in the, in the clubs and in sex work. The fact that they're using your vessel, that's the only way I feel like we're able to do those sort of things is because of the demons taking that over. Period. And especially women who don't drink. Mm. Oh, you yeah. know. Yeah, that's You know. Yeah, so tell us about um, this fight encounter. Because I feel like that's like the next like pivotal point when you first started praying to God again. Um, because you'd been running from him and numbing his voice. And then this crazy fight happens where you realize you need him. So tell us about that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just have to laugh because it's like, you know, God is really like a father. 
And you know that how moms are like, why do I always have to yell for you guys to listen to me? Yes, yes. And I feel like this was God like having to yell, you know, for me to get my <laughs> to get my attention. And it's like we determine the level of force that the Lord's going to use, you know, to discipline us. We can either listen when he's whispering and that's still small voice or if yeah. he's gonna roar like a lion oh my goodness that's so good <laughs> so there was this one night that I was um turning up and when I tell you I ran back to everything I left after I left the church I went back to the guy that treated on me and got someone else pregnant I'm telling you like I went back and yeah. I remember we were partying, we were turning up and it was already like five in the morning and we were leaving the music studio and I was with my friend and she was on the phone with these guys and we were at the gas station getting gas and um, she's like, come on, let's go, let's go to um, so-and-so, let's go meet up so-and-so. And I was like, I instantly got like a deep feeling in my stomach, like a, like a pit feeling like I'm not supposed to go there mm-hmm. and um she was like come on come on come on like I could hear these guys on the phone and they're like plotting some stuff and you can clearly hear that they're manifesting and I'm just like how is she not hearing what they're saying and I can hear God telling me don't go and she's like fine well if you're not gonna go then at least drop me off and I'm like are you sure it's already five in the morning we gotta work tomorrow like there's nothing for us else for us to do like let's just go home she's like no 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 come on come on drop me off so I'm like fine so I go to drop her off and as I'm driving there, the Holy Spirit is telling me not to go. Turn around. Don't go. And the closer I got, the the greater that feeling, that anxiety I was feeling, the greater that it got. And I remember um pulling into the alley and, you know, still have my car running. And she was, you know, drunk. We were drunk, so she was moving slow. And she was like getting her bottle from the bottom of the car, getting her blunts, getting her swishers, like grabbing her her keys. And in the middle of her doing that, um, some girl ran to the side of her on the other side of the car. They ran to her. They started fighting. And then some girl came on my side of the car um, through the driver's side and she started swinging at me through the window. And I remember, you know, swinging back, still in my car. I had this, I used to walk around with this big pipe knife that people used to take windshields out with, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have the blade in it. Um, And I remember like using that to swing and out of nowhere, some guy was just like, boop, he like tucked it out of my hand, like nothing. And he like turned my car off, dragged me out of the car and threw my keys and while he's doing this, I'm I'm still trying to fight this girl. Mm-hmm. So I remember like going behind um where the trunk was in my car and looking and my friend was literally underneath the car tire, like getting jumped on by this girl. And there was a guy there with a shotgun and he was hitting her with it. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, still like fighting with this girl. And I was like, when I seen the guy hitting her with the shotgun, I immediately started praying. And I was like, oh my God, Lord. 
This is how I die. This is how I go. I don't want to go out like this. Lord, if I die like this, I'm going to die backslidden and I'm never going to see you again. I'm not going to be able to say bye to my mom. Like if I die right now, Lord, I'm not going to spend eternity with you because I knew God and I knew what I was doing was wrong and I was doing it in my rebellion. And out of nowhere, I feel like getting back, we ended up getting backed up, you know, to the garage alley and I felt something cold press up against my stomach and when I look it's the guy with the shotgun and he had put it up against my stomach and I was just like God please don't let me die like if you free me from this right now I promise you like I'll stop doing you know those promises we make to God I promise you I'll stop doing what I'm doing if you just get me out of the situation and when I prayed that, I literally felt like a force field go between me and the people I was fighting. It was like an invisible force field, but I can feel it. It was like shielding me. And as soon as I felt that go forth, the guy who orchestrated the whole meetup was like, stop. And when he said stop, everyone dispersed. Now you have to understand that when if you've ever been in an altercation or in a fight, you know that it takes a minute to pull people off of each other. You got to be like, hey, 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 stop. But he said it was such authority. He said, stop. And everyone dispersed. And I remember like my friend like jumped in the car really fast. I'm like got getting in the car and I'm like, oh my goodness, my keys. My keys. And during this time, the starter in my car, it would tweak. So sometimes it would want to start. Sometimes it wouldn't want to start. And I remember like, oh, my God, Lord, my keys. And as I'm like freaking out, the guy with the shotgun is yelling. And he's like, if you guys don't leave in two minutes, I'm going to blow your heads off. You guys better get out of here right now. And I was like, God, where are my keys? And then out of nowhere, he like illuminated them. They were like by the garbage can in the alley. And I like got out really fast, grabbed my keys, my car started and we took off. And when I got to the red light, I was so angry with my friend because it was like, I told you, I told you we shouldn't have been here. Amanda, that's a crazy story. That's like, where did these people come from? What was their beef? I don't know. But this is just insane. Like the the fact that you saw saw God show up in this, though. Like I know this is the main point, but it's also like there's so many questions. Like, what were these people doing? This is just, you know, what this is reflective of too is just the utter chaos that happens and is the norm of your life when you're living in the depths of sin. Oh my gosh. And that's what it is. So basically I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, here in Chicago, we don't share men. So, (laughs) okay. (laughs) What it was, it was, my friend was dealing with a guy who was also dealing with a guy who was dealing with another female and she found out and they, they set her up and you know, I got caught in the crossfire, um, because of it. This episode is brought to you by Raised and Redeemed Merch. We all love a good crew neck, high top sock, and oversized t-shirt, am I right? Head over to the show notes from wherever you're listening to order yours and support the show today. Okay, so this is the moment like, okay, you're like, I'm backslidden. I need you, God. He shows up just in this miraculous way, saves you, gives you basically another chance Um, at repentance. And so, 
Of course, you didn't just go straight back to church, though. So what happened next? (laughs) You know, you would think after going through something like that, you know, you would wake up and come to your senses. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, It was about three to four months later um, that the encounter happened at the club. I went back to doing my, my, my old thing. You know, I didn't keep my promise to God. You know, I promised him if he got me out of that jam that I, you know, stopped doing everything that I was doing. Unfortunately, I did not, you know, hold up my end of the bargain and I went back um, to the club, but it did soften. That experience did soften my heart towards God again. It's kind of like, I felt like a little like spark for God again. And it, it kind of went like that. You know, I went on to my routine. I kept doing what I was doing. And I ended up meeting some guy in the process. And I remember one day when I really started falling in love. I remember one day, because, you know, when you fall in love, you don't want to do that anymore. I don't know if it was like that for you, if you met your man, you know, while you were still dancing. But once you start falling in love, you're like, I don't even want this anymore. Like, I don't even want to go to work. Yeah, I get that. I met my husband afterwards, but I I can understand what you mean. Yeah. Yes. So I um remember this one day, I was just kind of like, what am I doing? Mm. You know, because my family would come and tell this guy, like, you know, Amanda that you know now, that's not who she was. Like the Amanda that we know used to go to church, like something happened, you know? So they would tell him stuff like that in front of me. And I'd be like, who do they think they are, you know, trying to tell my boyfriend like about me and they don't know nothing. Like if they only knew what I was going through, like they'd understand while I'm wilding out. And I remember this one particular night, I started my shift as normal. You know, I was driving to work. But this time it was like around seven o'clock and the sun was going down. And I remember the Holy Spirit getting in my car. And my heart was like completely like pliable. It was like ready. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know how. And I didn't want to forgive still. Yeah. That was like the one thing that I was like, God, I'm not going to do it. Yes. And I remember getting the Holy, I remember driving down the highway to work, to the club, and the Holy Spirit got in the car. And he was like, Amanda, come home. I miss you. Come home. And I was like, I miss you too, God, but I can't. What you're asking me to do, God, I can't. I can't forgive him, God. God, you saw what he did. You saw all those nights, God. You heard all my questions of of asking you, where were you and why did this happen, God? You know, God, God, you know, God, I can't forgive him. And he was like, Amanda, I know, I know, but you have to. You have to and I'll help you. Wow, there it is. He was like, you have to, and, I, and I'll help you. And I didn't say anything back. I parked. I turned my car off. I took a bump. I took a shot. I grabbed my bag, and I went into work. And I, I want to say this, you know, because I know how people in social media are. I had a high level 
a high tolerance. Mm -hmm. Like this was something that I did on the regular. You know, it was kind of something that I did to take the edge off before going to work. But I didn't get, you know, sloppy drunk. I didn't get too intoxicated to the point where I couldn't, you know, maintain my money, count my money, you know, be alert of what's around me. I just took it to take the edge off. And it was something that my body already tolerated. So I wasn't like in a state of mind where I was like completely drunk, hallucinating. No, I was fine. This was the norm for me. Well, I was about to say too, a shot and a bump, those aren't hallucinogens. Mm -mm. That's just to take the edge off. Yeah. To get get you ready for that persona, right? To get you ready to to do this. Because it's a lot, you know, to dance for people. It's a lot to, you know put on this fantasy put on this show when you're dying inside yeah there's something you said in your main testimony video i'm excited for the point we're getting to i know this is like the the climax but there's something else that you said that i wanted to note on and that's how like when you're a dancer you're working in this kind of industry you lead everybody to believe like oh i'm living my best life i have all the money i can go on all the trips i can buy all the clothes but how do you feel when the cameras go off or you lay down to bed by yourself at night or the drugs wear off. Like if you're honest with yourself, you know that you're miserable inside and that, that those things aren't fulfilling you. That is so key. That's key right there because I feel like the culture that we live in, they glorify it. They glamorize, you know, the um, stripper life. And I'm not going to lie. It, some nights were fun Yeah. until it wore off. Yes. You know, it it was fun. You know, when you're on stage, you do get that sense of being wanted. You do get that sense of empowerment. You do get that, you know, quick fulfillment that goes, you know, real quick when you see the guy that just spent all this money go and spend some the same amount of money on somebody else. And, you know, coming back home and you're lonely. Yeah. You know, you're still alone. You got all this, you know, fluff and all these compliments from all these different men who are just after one thing. And I think that's kind of like where I found myself like, man, I am holding so much hate against this one person, but I'm over here entertaining the same type of men. Mm -hmm. I'm here every night dancing for men who love to look at little girls older men with fetishes like I'm entertaining the same people that I hate so can I really be that mad wow that's and that's truth and it's true like when you wake up you still feel empty Mm -hmm. the next morning you know like I remember the first week I danced like that first week or that first night I was like I'm not going back Mm. that was crazy I can't believe I did that but then you see the money and you're like okay Or like you said, too, um, and this I haven't had many people on the show talk about yet. Like we talked about the empowerment you feel on the stage, but then the way that your dignity is instantly ripped away when you get off the stage and you go into that private dance with one of these perverts, one of these demon filled men. And now you're alone with them here in this private room. Like it's so easy to glamorize the the two minutes that you're on stage and you have all the attention, but where the money is actually made is in those private rooms where, like you said, your dignity is ripped away from you. Yes. I remember. And it's so crazy that you're saying that. Cause I remember a time, you know, where we're trying to meet our quota so we don't have to pay back house. 
And I remember going into a dance with this guy. And as soon as we went into that dance, he manifested. And he was like, I'm going to take you back to my uncle, my dad, my brother, and I'm going to let them all have their turn with you. And I'm going to like start ripping your hair off and just like, you know, like manifesting. And I would, I would stop the dance and I would be like, yo, are you okay? And he would like come back to normal. Like what's wrong? Sit back down. Like, what are you doing? You know, like literally manifesting. Um, and that happened on multiple occasions, but it does strip away your dignity. Like, look at what you're doing for a couple dollars. Like, look at what you're doing, you know, just to prove your point that you're in control yeah. of your body. Wow. That's, it's so crazy, too, that you sort of experienced guys manifest, like, on numerous occasions. Um, because I never saw that directly in the club. Um, so the fact that like all of this came to pass while you were in the club is just, it's so amazing and like fascinating, um, because I saw it afterwards, like in a hotel room in an adulterous relationship I was in with this married man, I saw a demon manifest in him. And that's what made me realize, you know, I had let these demons into my life. Um, but lead us back to that final climatic point of when you went to the club and God, like he'd been telling you, I miss you. I want you to come home. Like, of course he's going to reveal, like you said, like he, it starts with that soft whisper. And then if you don't hear him or respond, like the roaring lion will come. So he revealed the spirit world to you, like in a major way, uh, so that you would see the truth of it and come home to him. So tell us that story. Yes, God is such a jealous God, you know, for (laughs) us. And, you know, during this time, I had a regular and I don't know why it didn't register in my mind, but I was just like, hey, he helps me meet my quotas, you know, in, 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 you know, an hour. So whatever. So he would um, come in and he would wear these anklets around his neck. And he would, every time he, he would come in, he always wanted to have like these, you know, spiritual like encounters and, Mm -hmm. and look into my eyes and he would bring in little gifts all the time. And, you know, I didn't know why it didn't click until this night. And I remember, you know, I took the shot, I took the bump and I went in like normal. I started my shift and I was waiting for him by the DJ booth to come in. And he came in and we did our thing like normal. You know, we started off with the five for 50 and we went into one of those uh, rooms on the lower level and the rooms back there were all red light. It was like dark with the red light and we were like in the last room in the corner And I remember, you know, him sitting down, I was starting to take off my heels, you know, and I started my dance. And I remember turning around and when I got back up and I did my hair flip and I turned around, that's when my eyes were open. And it's like, I wasn't dancing for my regular anymore. The Lord literally opened my eyes to see in the spirit realm. And when I turned around, I seen a full manifested demon literally glaring back at me. He was sitting in his chair, like so enticed, so pleased, so proud. And I completely freaked out. I kind of was like stuck 
And I grabbed my stuff and I ran to the back. I didn't even check out, yeah. you know, from that room. I like went back to the dressing room and I remember just feeling so hot, so lightheaded, so nauseous. And I remember like it was a packed night. It was a Saturday or Friday night. Um, and the bars were packed. The floor was packed. Like people were on stage. And I remember like random guys reaching out like, hey, let's go get a two for 25. But I can mm. see the spirit that was on them. And I was just kind of like freaking out. And I ran straight back, you know, to the floor, to the back, into the dressing room. And the floor runners at this time were coming back. And they're like, come on, everybody to the dance floor, everybody to the dance floor. The owner's watching on the camera. We need everybody on the floor. We need everybody on the floor. Come on, let's go. And I was just like, I can't. I feel sick. I'm not going back out there. And I sat down and I was like sweating. And the the room cleared, you know, the floor runner came and she got every everybody cleared. The house mom went out. And I remember like once everything was empty, that's when I felt the Holy Spirit come in. And I was like, he didn't say anything. I spoke first. And I was like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I need you to get me out of here. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I don't care. I'll forgive. I just need you to get me out of here. And he was like, all right, get dressed. Let's go. And I must have put, I threw everything in my dance bag. I took my heels off. I put my joggers on and I ran out of there. I didn't wait to pay house at the end of the day. I literally ran. I didn't wait for the security guard to walk us back to my car. Yeah. Like I literally ran with the Holy Spirit. When he, as soon as he <laughs> said, let's go, I was like, let's go. And on my way driving home, like leaving that parking lot, I was like, every, every question was setting in. Lord, what am I going to do for income? This is my main source of income. Oh my God, the guy that I'm living with, like what's going to happen with him? Like he didn't meet me as a Christian. I'm like this wild party girl. We just moved in together. Like he's going to leave. Like what, 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 all of these things. And I just felt God saying, just like, shh. And like that peace that came in and God is so beautiful. I don't know if you have any questions. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's just so amazing. Uh, yeah, I know. So we are starting, we're about 15 minutes away from time. So I do want to ask about this man as well. Like all these questions you had with God and little did you know the goodness that he had for you. I wish I could say that full Bible verse, but like we can't think or imagine just like the goodness that he has for us. And so you had all these questions and fears, but I know, I know that God provided for those things. Um, I know that you, you know, you got a job and what this man came to be for you. So tell us a little bit about that process um, with this guy you're with and how he then became your husband. Yes. Yeah, so literally <laughs> the following Sunday, I got ready for church and he stayed home because that wasn't his thing. I, I got ready for church. I went to, to the service. And as soon as I got there, my old pastor was like, welcome home. Mm -hmm. She like greeted me. She hugged me. She gave me a hug. She was like, welcome home. And the pastor that day was preaching about 
you know, how God's coming back for a bride without any stains on her dress. And he was just saying every time we sin, every time we live in fornication, and he was just putting dye on this dress and he was ruining the dress. And he's like, but when you apply the blood of Christ, I don't know what type of dye this was. Because as he wiped it off, it was like the stains were coming off. And he was like, when you apply the blood of Christ to this, like, he wipes away all your stains. So we need Christ. We need to live right. And I remember like being so touched. I went up to the altar. I gave my life back to the Lord. (laughs) I finally kept my promise and I went back home and I didn't even wait. The moment I opened the door, he was there way standing. And I was like, listen, (laughs) I know you didn't meet me as a Christian, but I'm telling you, this is what I'm doing. I'm giving my life back to the Lord. We can't live like this. We're living in sin. You know, I know this is not your thing, so I won't be mad at you if you choose to go. You know, you can stay on the couch. I'll give you a month to get your things together. But if you want to be with me and this is something that you want to follow me with into, you know, then we have to get married. (laughs) And he was like, and I'm freaking out because I came in all bold and I'm like, am I ready for this? Yeah. And he was just like, okay, his deep wow. voice. Okay. He was just like, okay, let's do this. And so that Monday we went and we applied for a marriage certificate. And then wow. we had to wait 24 hours and we got married. Praise God. Oh, my goodness. And so He's this, my man. Yes. And you guys have such a beautiful marriage, too. I love your episodes together and just like hearing you guys reflect on how you've learned and grown as two, like you became believers together and are learning to walk this walk out together. And that's just, it's so beautiful. And something you said that I can relate to, and I've shared with my listeners, girl, I feel you. I know I'm, I'm feeling the Lord in this. This is so beautiful. Uh, So like something you struggled with then was, um, you know, with your husband, wanting him to be all in, like as much as you were all in. And you talked about how like you nearly ruined your marriage at the beginning. I did the same thing because I had such a radical coming to Jesus moment. And so I met my husband. I was like, these are the requirements. And he, my husband's a very good salesman. So he's like, oh, yes, good, of course. And we got married very quick as well. And then I later realized like, oh, his walk isn't like what I thought it was, you know, and I was like, you know, like I'm leading us, I'm praying for us, I'm pulling us to church, all these things. And I got very discouraged. And then I just started learning to like, pray for him and back off a little bit and trust God with his walk. And I continued to do that. And I'm seeing how the Lord really does want to answer those prayers. Like he, he loves that when we pray for our spouses like that. And we do have to like back off as the women a little bit. And something you said is like, I realized like him screaming in church with his hands up and like yelling the loudest doesn't make him a godly man. Him carrying the most chairs isn't what makes him a godly man. Him being involved with the most Bible studies isn't what makes him a godly man. And you started to realize like, your husband actually is a godly man because he, he takes care of you. He provides for you. He loves you. He protects you. All these things that I could just so relate to. So tell I know I just said a whole lot, but just tell us a little bit about that and your process of like trusting God with your husband. 
Yeah, that's kind of how it was. I would compare him to other men in the church and I would compare, you know, our marriage to other marriages in the church. And I would be like, man, my husband is real serious and he's not worshiping or he's not praying loud or, you know, just kind of doing everything that you named. And I like, it wasn't until the Lord was like, it doesn't matter how many times you compromise with him. It doesn't matter how many times you threaten to leave him. It doesn't matter how many times you try to twist his arm to be something that he's not he's not gonna change until I do it and you need to back off and that's when I began to see the change in my husband when I got out of the way wow and you described too like you kind of um you went through a tough season like there was a really tough season you went through and this I don't know if this is because of the infertility problems that you guys had but this like took a toll on your faith and like in that season though you got to see your husband step up and be the one to remind you God is good and God is for you and it's like sometimes we do have to take a step back or you know come down a step for them to step up into their leadership girl it was I want to say two years ago or a year ago where I was literally like in deep warfare You know, right when I was launching my podcast, I was in deep warfare where I literally had witches astral projecting in front of my house, you know, them doing incantation spell where my hair would fall out, you know, them doing stuff on my daughter that caused her to have seizures. And I was getting so discouraged. So in the midst of this, this is when my husband was like, hold on, you're not a punk. (laughs) <laughs> the Lord is not done. You need to get up. And he would pray for me. He would war for me like he would see in the spirit realm. And that's when I was like, okay, Lord, I backed off two years ago and you stepped in. And now in my weakest moments, my husband is leading us through this hard time. And and just, you know, being like, oh, he does have his own calling. He does have his own gift that the Lord cultivated on his own. And I didn't even have anything to do with it. And it's like, sometimes we want these men to lead, but we need to give them room to do that. That's a word. Oh my goodness. I love too that, like how you explained like God revealed to you, it doesn't matter how much you try to convince him or twist his arm or force him. He's not going to change. Like He's not going to have this in his heart until God speaks it into his heart. Like we have to wait on God. Yes. And I was holding him up to a level that I couldn't even maintain. I would threaten him and be like, listen, if you don't get it together, if you don't come with me to church every Sunday, if you don't serve with me, then I'm done because this is not the life that I want. Yeah. Mind you, this man never hit me. This man never called me out of my name. He never degraded me. He stood with me through all my healing transitions. He didn't judge me when I had multiple demons being casted out of me and I was screaming like a man. Like he stood with it all, even through our daughter's diagnosis. He stood with me through it all. And I'm here holding him up to a level that I couldn't even maintain. How many times did I not want to read the Bible? How many times did I, you know, leave church because I didn't want to forgive but I'm yet I'm holding him to a standard that I couldn't even fulfill girl that's so good that's so good and then the one other thing I wanted to ask was about the forgiveness um 
this was like the main thing that led you away. And then in that final moment, you're like, I don't care, God, I'll forgive. I'll forgive if I have to forgive. What, yes. what did you learn? Like, how did you forgive your dad? Yes. So I think we think it's going to be like this raw, big, like moment. But I, I was at a church and I remember Real Talk Kim came to one of our women's conferences. And as she was preaching, I was like, Lord, I'm ready. I forgive him. And I said it out loud to myself in the midst of everybody. But I was like, I forgive my biological father for molesting me. I forgive him, Lord. That didn't mean I wasn't so angry inside. That doesn't mean I didn't, you know, still have all this work to be done. But I know in order for me to get freed, I had to say that out loud to God. And I said his name and I was like, God, I forgive so-and-so for molesting me, God. And I'll go a step further. And I pray, Lord, that you would save him. I started praying for his salvation. Yes, I think that was one of the main things that helped me as well as realizing like my parents treated me as badly as they did because demons are running their lives. Like this is spiritual warfare. And when you begin to see like, it's not my dad who did this to me. It's the demons living through him. Yes, he allowed it. Like there's no excuses, all this stuff. But when you see the spiritual warfare and the fact that like their souls are dead in their sin as well, it helps you have this kind of compassion. Like and pray for their salvation, you know, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and not these demons that have caused them to do such terrible things. Yes, I love that you said that. And I think that's something that really helped me because the Lord would show me the little boy in him. <laughs> yeah, He would show me where it started. You know, he would show me, you know, the little things because he was from, you know, a village in Guatemala and raising him, you know, his mom kind of gave him away to some witch doctors and what happened there. And, you know, so the Lord allowed me to to see the little boy in him. So it made it a little bit, a little bit easier to forgive him and just kind of understand that God I have to die to what I think is right or wrong and allow you to live through me and if this is me dying to myself so that you can prosper so that you can help other women get freed from molestation and trauma and spirits and if this is like the legal right that's keeping these demons inside of me then I give it to you God so that you can do your work amen amen Amanda, I love this conversation so much. I loved having you on the show today and just, gosh, your testimony is just so inspiring and so encouraging. Um, Yeah, I'm just, I'm leaving fulfilled and inspired and uplifted. So I just want to thank you again for taking the time and, and being here today. And one of the last things I want to ask you is just, I know my listeners are going to want to know how to find you. So if you wouldn't mind sharing Uh, your resources. And then if you would want to pray us out as well, I know you're a beautiful prayer warrior. You pray in all of your episodes as well. So I would, I would love to have you do that for us if you'd like to. Absolutely. Yes. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at, at Daughters of Zion podcast. Um, that's all my handles for social media. So you can definitely find me there and I'll kind of send you the link in case you want to link it in the description box. Um, but yes. So first I want to say thank you so much again for having me on. I would even love for you to share your story on my platform so that the ladies can hear, you know, like a different perspective of like the club and everything you went through. Absolutely. So we could talk about that. Continued uh, collaborations to come. <laughs> okay. But Father, we love you, Abba. 
We worship you, my King. We thank you, God. We thank you that you're good, Father. We thank you that in every dark season, God, you still prosper us, God. We thank you for the beauty that you've given us from our ashes. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us how you found us, God. But your word says that you take us from glory to glory to glory, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you put glory in inside of our story, God. And I pray, Lord, that for all of those who are listening right now, Lord, during this podcast, whether they're in the car, whether they're at home, whether they're, you know, just sitting, you know, with their friends in the living room, Father, that you would speak to them and you would remind them that in all of their tragedy, in all of their pain, that there is still glory in their story, that they matter, that everything that they've been through, Father, that you will use it for the good of those who love you father and i pray lord that as you take him out of a tragic season father and you position them to walk into triumph god that they would use everything that you've done in their life as prophetic keys to unlock women who've been in the same place that you took them out of god we thank you for michaela father we thank you for this platform and this podcast god we thank you lord that you keep your hand on this podcast. We ask that you cover it, God. We ask that you surround her ministry with ministering angels, with warring angels. We come against all word curses, all witchcraft, hex, vexes, and voodoos, and incantations that will try to be thrown against this podcast, God. We thank you, Lord, that they fall on dead ground now in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over this ministry. I plead the blood of over Michaela and her husband, Lord. Father, I pray that you would keep your hands on them, God, and you continue to prosper them, continue to prosper their, their, their platform, Lord, so that they can keep bringing your name glory in Jesus mighty name. We honor you, Father, and we give you all the glory and all the praise. Amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to have you leave a review and share it with a friend. All information on how to stay connected with the Raised and Redeemed podcast can be found in the show notes below. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.